Before we begin our Torah study this morning, let's pray together. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech ha'olam asher kidshenu b'mitzvotav etzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to start this morning with the reading from Ecclesiastes 3. This is a powerful and important passage that has been useful to, to many of us uh, during challenging times. And I think the passage is meant to anchor us for life in unstable times and to give a sense to us about how life really works. And I think it's probably familiar to you. And if you remember the song, Turn, 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 then you remember perhaps these words that were taken from this. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3, starting in verse 1. To everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. And I think this passage captures something about life. Certainly that life has times and seasons. And that this is the way life really is. And it tells us the, the honest truth and the unvarnished truth, it's not how we wish life were, or a fantasy or a fairy tale about life. And I think each of you knows this to be true about the scriptures and about the Lord. He tells us the truth. And that these different contrasting times actually do occur and God brings us through that. But let's be honest with ourselves. Uh, have you ever wished it weren't exactly like this? That it was all easier and it was all brighter and it was all whatever? That is not only a um, yearning that we have, and it's what we would wish life were like, but it's also a reflection of something else, and that is God has put eternity in our heart. There's something we do yearn for. And so the scripture is contrasting what our real life is and what we um, perhaps would, might wish that it were. But we see in this scripture that all these times are not necessarily of our choosing and we learn something. We can learn something through the different times. We can learn that we can live our lives before God in times of joy and in times of sorrow, in times of birth and in times of death, we can live before God. 
and we can draw close to God in all those times. The Lord is present in all those different times. We may not be the master. We are not the master of all the times and seasons. They're not all under our control. But the Lord is the master. Our lives are hidden in Messiah. This we know. And our confidence is in him. And we learn to find fellowship with the Lord in times of joy and in times of tears, in times of weeping, and in times of laughing. If for each of you, as for me, we go through these times and seasons and we stay close to the Lord nevertheless. Death and birth touched my family this week after a short but a severe infection and a lot of complications. My younger sister, Toby, passed away on Sunday. And just a few hours before, on Saturday, my sister Karen, my older sister, oldest sister, got the news that her daughter-in-law had given birth to a healthy son. A time to be born, a time to die. That's the first contrasting pair that is presented in Ecclesiastes 3. And Ecclesiastes 3 catalogs so many of the contrasting moments in life, and it reminds us that they all will come. They all come in their seasons and at their times, and each has purpose. In fact, these contrasting moments may conflict with each other, as they're doing in our family right now. It's not so much that these contrasting aspects of life are inevitable, it's that they come in their own time. Toby's death was unexpected. Karen's grandson's birth was eagerly awaited. For nine months, we've been waiting. Our hearts and our minds and our souls are forced to accommodate both, even at the same time. And so we find ourselves having to alternate between emotions. Otherwise, we may suppress all the emotions while we're trying to control the sadness. And maybe you've had that experience where you, you feel so strongly and so sad that you just want to not feel anything. But it's, that's not the best way, I think. We may feel guilty about the joy and try to suppress it for the sake of solidarity and mourning. And I can tell you that in, in my family, all of the siblings were trying to deal with the fact that there's a death and there's a birth. And there are tears and there's rejoicing. And we decided to acknowledge it all and to encourage our sister who was now blessed with her first grandson to encourage her to be joyful in that. It's not so easy in such moments. It's complicated and it's complex. Sandy pointed me to Ecclesiastes 3. And she reminded me that we were experiencing birth and death at the same time. 
And she reminded me that a time to be born and a time to die are not just bookends for one person's life, because sometimes we read it that way. There's a time to be born, because each of us is born, and there's a time to die, because each of us will die. And these, this is true. But there's more than that, a time to be born and a time to die. One person in our family died, and another person in our family was born at this one time. And in this one season, and we experience life and death in different ways. Sometimes we experience one, we experience life, and it's wonderful. And sometimes we experience death, and it's sad. And sometimes we experience both at the same time. Some people just shrug their shoulders, they tilt their head a bit, and they say, such is life. Such is life, but it's not that we should be or can be indifferent about these things. Or that because we know this, that we have no feeling and it's just easy for us. No. Ecclesiastes is telling us that life contains these contrasts and we can live with honesty and integrity as we acknowledge the contrasts. And not only that, we can also draw closer to God and to one another as we experience both sides of life. Closer to God? Why can this be true? You may be wondering. I'll tell you what I think. I think it's because God is with us through all these times and contrasting moments. We walk with him during all the different times and seasons of our life. We walk with him during all the different conditions that we find ourselves in. He's not just the God of heaven. He is the God of earth. And that means we can be with him and he wants to be with us Yes, in the realm of eternity, but also in the everyday realm of time and space, in the realm of the spirit, and in the realm of the body. It's all important to him, and that's why we can mourn before him, and that's why we can rejoice before him. And that's why sometimes we do both, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. When my mother passed away many years ago, we found ourselves just weeping together. And then there'd be a moment where it would stop. And we'd start thinking about something good together. And someone would say something that brought a smile to our faces. Maybe you've had that kind of experience. Anybody had that experience where you're mourning on one hand, but on the other hand, there's also something else going on, and it's not in your control. And I think that we can honestly experience those things. They seem to be in conflict. They're not in conflict. They're contrasting. Yes, they're different, yes. 
But Ecclesiastes is telling us the truth. Time for mourning. Time for joy. Time for birth. Time for death. So as I've been pondering this, I've also been thinking about Dave Aramabo and the passing of Brenda suddenly and unexpectedly. Wednesday a week ago, he came to services last Shabbat, you remember, and told us. And we gathered around him and his family at the start of the service, and we prayed together, and some hugged him, and some spoke to him directly, and you may remember she was wheelchair-bound. Um, and she was tired. But she was alive. And she was present and thoughtful and expressive. And then suddenly she died. And there's such finality. Dave deeply misses her. He's not, he said, in despair. And he finds comfort in knowing the Lord has promised to resurrect us. And he is so thankful for the, I think, 46 years they had together as a couple. But he misses her. An old friend, Rabbi Mark Greenberg, passed away after a three-year battle with degenerative disease. And his family mourns, and as many friends do too. We haven't been close in many years. But today, as we were worshiping, I remembered that during a time of mourning for us, decades ago, when I was rabbi up in Rochester, New York, and, and Mark was um, part of our congregation, he stepped in to lead the Passover because I took time off and Sandy and I took time away in order to mourn. And he stepped in and I was thinking about that and thinking, oh, I'm so grateful, Lord, for him. Over the years, we weren't active together in our friendship, but I take note of his passing. And I also take notice of something else. I have a limited response. What can I do? You know, I'm sad on one hand. And I'm remembering with fondness on the other hand. Because life continues. It goes on. But here's the other thing. Joy continues. And happiness continues. It's really important in the midst of sadness not to just give in to despair, and to be miserable. I mean, sometimes it's out of our control. But I can tell you that with God's help, we can process things. I read this week's Torah portion. I studied it for hours. It's in Hebrew called Parshat Va'era. In English, I appeared. Because that's... What the Lord says at the beginning of this passage, I appeared. And what follows are a few verses which reveal what I think are some extraordinary details about God and about revelation. 
you can turn to Exodus chapter 6, verses 2 through 9, we'll read. And as we're reading this, I want you to take notice of the verbs that are in here. Because they say something to us about what God can do, what he has done, and what he will do. God spoke to Moses. Do you know what the verb is there? Spoke. He spoke to Moses. He said to him, I am Adonai. I appeared to Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov as El Shaddai. I appeared. Although I did not make myself known to them by my name, yod heh vav Adonai, also with them I established my covenant to give them the land of Canaan, or Canaan, the land where they wandered about and lived as foreigners. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians are keeping in slavery, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the people of Israel, I am Adonai, I will free you from the forced labor of the Egyptians, rescue you from their oppression, and redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God, and then you will know that I am Adonai, your God, who freed you from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. I will give it to you as your inheritance. I am Adonai. Verse 9 is important as Brian Rose emphasized this morning. Moshe said this to the people of Israel, but they would not listen to him because they were so discouraged and their slavery was so cruel. Let's go through this and look at some of the things, some of the details that are covered in this passage. It's a short passage, but I want to just call out an a number of the details, and, and there are more. This is not an exhaustive list from this short passage, but here are some simple ones in the order that I came across them. God can speak. God can be heard. God commands, and he can be obeyed. God appears. He makes himself visible at times under his conditions in his own ways. God can be known. They didn't know me this way, but they knew me that way. He can be known. Here's something else. God cannot be controlled by those who know him. God listens. God acts. God remembers. God makes covenant. God redeems. God delivers. God promises, and he fulfills his promises. And all of this is described in a few very powerful verses, and we can read them, and we can learn a lot about God. If we read them with care, and if we take time, we can learn about God's nature and his ways. We can learn also about the roles and functions that he performs. And then in the last verse, the passage shifts its focus, and it turns to the people who God tells Moses to address, and it describes their response and their condition and what's happened to them. And so let's read that part again. Exodus 6, verse 9. Moshe said this to the people of Israel. 
but they would not listen to him because they were so discouraged and their slavery was so cruel. Some translations say they would not listen because of impatience of spirit. And I don't think that really captures it. The, the Hebrew could be rendered shortness of spirit, which, which can mean anguish or despondency. Rabbi Hertz and his Chumash says the people were utterly crushed by their disappointment. They paid no heed to the fresh promises of redemption. Earlier, they were paying attention, but if you remember, when they first got the news from Moses that there was going to be deliverance, the people were excited, but the situations got worse and worse, not better and better. And so they could not listen now, the scriptures are telling us, and Hertz is commenting, they couldn't pay attention to the fresh promises of redemption. Kyle and Delich in their commentaries say, they did not listen to him for shortness of breath, not shortness of spirit. It's another way of rendering it because the word ruach means spirit, and it also means breath. And he says it's not from impatience, like they were in a hurry, but rather from anguish and inward pressure which prevents a person from breathing properly. I don't know if you grasp that, but what Kyle and Delich are saying is that um, the, the people were in such agony over their situation, they, they, they couldn't inhale and exhale in the normal ways. Maybe you've had that kind of condition where, where you've lost your breath. It's hard to breathe because it's just so hard. And Kyle and Delich say, thus the early belief of the Israelites was changed into the despondency of unbelief through the increase of their oppression. And this result also produced despondency in Moses' mind. So let's go back to the passage and keep reading Exodus 6, verses 10 through 12. Adonai said to Moshe, Go in and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel leave his land. Moshe said to Adonai, Look. <laughs> I like that simple word, look. You're like, Lord, can you pay attention? Look at what's going on. The people of Israel haven't listened to me, so how will Pharaoh listen to me, poor speaker that I am? So Moses is despondent too. Do you get that? And he's saying to the Lord, no one can listen to me so far. The Lord's listening. And this is what the Lord does. I don't know if you ever do what I like to do. I like pretend that the verse isn't there and how I would write it if I had control over everything. And I have one version where the Lord listens to Moses and says, oh, Moses, poor baby. 
And then I realized, well, Moses is 80 years old. That's probably not the right way to talk to an 80-year-old. But there are times, maybe you've wanted them, I have, when I want just everything to be easier than it actually is. Anybody in favor of that? Well, that's eternity in your heart. That's real, but it may not apply in this time and in this season. This is what really happened, verse 13. But Adonai spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them orders concerning both the people of Israel and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. The Lord understood the condition that people were in and how it affected them. And he did not sit in judgment, but he did not allow that to stop his plan to deliver Israel. Brian Rose, you did a wonderful job of communicating that this morning as we were beginning worship. It did not stop the Lord. You could almost say the Lord paid no heed. Not because he was discouraged, but because he knew what was his plan and what he was going to do and how he would work step by step through the challenging difficulties that were ahead. The people of Israel, I think, could be described as being brokenhearted. I don't know that Moses was brokenhearted. I think he was discouraged. But we know this, the brokenhearted may not be able to pay heed to fresh promises of redemption, as Rabbi Hertz puts it. But if you try to encourage the brokenhearted, sometimes you can't. But you can be present with them and mourn with them, and you can, by your presence and your love, you can bring comfort. So I want to talk a little bit about rebounding with integrity and tenacity because we will each face times and seasons and moments and events that bring us down and that challenge us. And that's what Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is all about. And that's what this passage in Exodus also describes. We will each face times when we will be brought low. And we will need to recover. We'll each face times when we can recover and we can rebound with integrity and tenacity. If I can pause for a moment in an uncharacteristic way. The Jaguars <laughs> are playing <laughs> this afternoon at 4.15. And um, good for them, right? They may not be your team. I, I get that. 
And in my house and in my extended family, there's going to be uh, a number of people who are not rooting for the Jags. But I myself, I'm, I'm just glad they didn't give up. And I'm glad that they showed tenacity. And I took note, I mentioned this at the prayer meeting, I took note of what um, Trevor Lawrence said in an interview right after the game. He was asked, and if, you, if you don't know, you know, you might not live in Jacksonville. Or if you do live in Jacksonville and you don't know, then, then American football may not be your sport. I get that. And if American football is your sport, but you are just disinterested in the Jags because I get that too. But what was interesting, what was interesting was the interviewer asked Trevor Lawrence how he, what it took to have the mental toughness to keep going after being down 27 to zero and having, what was it, four interceptions in the first half? Set a record, I think. Like, how did you come back? And he was asked that question, and he said, I had no choice. Because I didn't want to be the reason why the whole team failed, because I didn't have the toughness. And so I had to be tough, because we got a great team. And I thought, well, good for you, Trevor. Good for you. That's what it took. It took his integrity and his tenacity working together. A lot of people would have just given up, but he didn't. And so they're playing the Chiefs, right? <laughs> is, is that for the Kansas City? Yay for Kansas City or yay for... For the Jets. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. You know, we, we're an honest group. We got different uh, allegiances. We got some Bills fans here who. Yeah, I know. Go Bills. <laughs> right. Who are known up north as the Bills Mafia uh, because they're tough enough to watch them play in ice cold weather. Yeah, and sit at the, even at the top of their stadium when it's so cold that normal human beings would give up. They're tough. They're so tough that when there was that blizzard in Buffalo recently, the NFL had to move the game out of Buffalo because the Bills Mafia would have found a way to go there somehow to that stadium, even though the roads were closed and there were several feet of snow. And so they said, we can't even have a game in town. It's got to be moved. So I like that kind of tenacity. I like that tenacity. And so now we've got two teams that are going to be playing each other, and they both have tenacity and as far as I understand, one of them will win. <laughs> That's the way it works, right? But I'm happy for the Jags having gotten this far. 
but I'm rooting for them. Wouldn't it be great? Yeah, if they go even further. So that's an uncharacteristic comment on American football for me. But it got my attention because they rebounded with integrity and tenacity. And I'm paying attention to people that do that. There are other ways of rebounding. So for us, because we all will face times where we'll be brought low and we'll need to recover, and we'll all face times of challenge and difficulty, one of the most important things, if I could, maybe the most important thing, if I could reduce it to one statement is, we can rebound with integrity and tenacity when we stay close to the Lord, when we stay close to the Lord. And we can learn during those times that God does have good news for us. But what about when we're heartsick or brokenhearted or our souls are wrecked? That was the case for Israel. Israel couldn't rebound at that moment. They couldn't hear the good news at that moment. What do we do when we're in that condition? And I'll tell you my answer. My answer. We bring our real condition before the Lord. And we talk to him and we, we tell him the honest truth. That is what Moses did. And that's what we can do. We talk to the Lord. And then we listen. That's what Moses also did. And then we wait, and we wait for the Lord to give an answer. That's also what Moses did. And then when the Lord answers, we take it to heart, and we don't shop around for another opinion. The Lord answered Moses, and the answer he gave Moses was not exactly what Moses wanted to hear. And that's why I think for, for us to rebound with integrity and tenacity, three things are really important. We need to be able first to be with God during all the times and seasons, not just the easy ones and the pleasant ones. I can tell you this, that I know that God loves me and is with me even during the hard times and seasons. I don't, I'm not prone to have that crisis that accuses the Lord and says, where are you, Lord? Because I've learned to weep with the Lord. So to be able to be with God during all the times and seasons, not just the easy and the pleasant ones, this is very important. And the second thing is to talk to him with honesty and not to sanitize our feelings and our thoughts. Look at the example of Moses at the end of last week's portion. He told it the way it was. He talks honestly with God. We can too. 
verse 3. Or verse 3. It's not, these are not verses. These are ideas. My ideas. So, yeah, this is chapter 1 of David's advice on mourning, verse 3. We need to bring our worst feelings and thoughts to God so that we can experience his comfort and his compassion and his correction and his direction. Our worst feelings. Let me tell you the truth. You, you don't have to sanitize before God. You don't have to polish up everything and then only tell him, you know, like, get yourself straight and put on a smiley face and say, hey, Lord, you're so good. You can weep before the Lord. You can wonder if you can make it. You can tell him out loud the truth. You can tell him what you're agonizing over. He is near to the brokenhearted. And what else can we learn to do? We can learn to read the scriptures and allow them to speak to our souls and our spirits. We can learn from those who have gone before us. We read this passage from Exodus, it can speak to us. And we can pray. We keep talking to the Lord. So what about when we run out of things to say? We can pray in the Spirit. We can use the gifts of the Spirit in prayer. We can also use the prayers of our people, the prayers in the scriptures and prayers in Siddur. And we can give voice, our voice to those prayers. And we can allow ourselves to speak to God in those words. There is a passage in Jeremiah that says, call to me and I will answer you and I'll show you great and unsearchable things you do not know. And there are times when I will take that and say, Lord, I'm calling to you. And I know you will answer me and show me great and unsearchable things I don't know. Here's what I don't know. And that's not necessarily the end of the conversation because there are times when I say, I don't know this, this, or this. And the Lord will, will answer me and say, oh, there's a lot more you don't know. And that's helpful. Isaiah 57 Verse 15 says, the Lord draws near to the lowly and the contrite. The whole passage says, for this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So there are times when I read that passage and I pray that passage, and I say, Lord, I thank you that you're near to me, and I'm lowly now, and I need my spirit to be revived, and I need my heart to be revived, and I tell him the honest truth, because he knows, even before I've uttered it, even before the words have been formed in my mouth, or your mouth, he knows what's in our heart. But, it's necessary to give voice to these things and not just keep them inside. The psalmist said when he kept them inside, it was like he was rotting. Yeshua taught his disciples 
to pray this way too. Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13 tells us, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's interesting to think about that just for a moment because we read in this week's Torah portion about the names by which God was known by the experiences that the people had had. But there's yet another way that God wanted to be known, not by those names, not because his name had changed, but because he wanted a certain relationship that was even foundational. Our Father, to be able to talk to him this way, the Holy Spirit given to us, calls out and says, Abba, Abba. So we may be arguing over how to pronounce yud hey vav hey, or whether you should pronounce it or what it means or this or that. And we may be thinking about El Shaddai and trying to work through all of that. But there's more that Yeshua taught us and that Yeshua accomplished. Pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We can say, Abba, you're holy. Your name is holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's this recognition that eternity, eternity has purpose and will that is, is being experienced. And we need it down here. And so we're saying this, we're saying, your will be done, Lord, your kingdom, your rulership come on this earth as it is in heaven. And what is the realm of that kingdom? It's often in our own lives. Let my heart be conformed to you, Lord. Let my will give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We can pray like that. We can learn to pray in this fashion. And there are other ways we can pray. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. And there are other ways we can pray. I don't know why, but when we were praying our Hebrew prayers today, I was remembering being in Hebrew school on Tuesday afternoons and Thursday afternoons and how hard it was for me to memorize the Ve'ahavta. <laughs> I wasn't good at memorizing. And I was thinking about that. It's like, why wasn't I so good? And I had this insight this morning while we were praying it because I do know it now. And I realized, well, I didn't like to practice it enough. I didn't memorize enough because it took more hard work in practice than I was wanting to give it. Can any of you relate to that? You think you can't do it. It's not that you can't. It's that you won't do what's necessary. That was my case. But 
I kept at it. Tuesdays and Thursdays. It was hard. But here I am. If you were my Hebrew teacher, you would probably be amazed that I do know you, you would just be surprised. Or we may pray from Avod Baruch as it goes on. You see, we can take the prayers and we can take the scriptures and we can use them for ourselves and sometimes they have become lost to our conscious mind and we do them in rote, not with intention, not with kavanah. And then I think of Yeshua when he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news. As he read from the prophet Isaiah during the Torah service and the public reading of the scriptures, it says, as was his custom, Yeshua entered the synagogue on Yom Shabbat. And when he stood up to read, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. And when I, when I thought about that, I thought, you know, sometimes, Stephen, that's what we have to do. We have to find the place where it's written. It's like, okay, we, we open up the scriptures, you know, the, we're using the Torah scroll. But opening up the scriptures and we're looking, it's like, where is that? You know, where's that passage we're reading today? And that's why there's a yad, you know, to help you find it, you know, to look. But you, you have to know what you're looking for. But of course, Yeshua had the advantage. This was his first language. Good for him. <laughs> but he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Of course, it wasn't written in English. You know that. But let's look at that passage, actually, Isaiah 61. Because that's what he was doing. That's what he, and the scrolls are, are not, um, they're not written in such a way that they have chapters and verses uh, with numbers. That's a later tool that's been added in translation. But this is what Yeshua was reading from. The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to console the mourners in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and a garment of praise for a spirit of despair or a spirit of heaviness. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified or for the display of his splendor. Yeshua read that 
And then he said, this is being brought into fullness right now in your presence. So when we hear these words, regardless of our condition, we can pay attention to our response and our condition, and we can say, what is my condition, Lord? Am I brokenhearted? Am I so discouraged that I can't even listen to this? Maybe so. But there is a nevertheless. But what if you listen to it, and when you hear the Scriptures, it awakens in you what God wants to do. And your spirit and your soul start agreeing Well, then you pray differently, and this is how I'm praying. I pray this, Lord, thank you for the good news. Thank you, Lord, that you draw close to us when we need good news. And Lord, we're praying and we're hoping that we'll learn to walk with you and be close to you in all the seasons of our life and all the times we face. And we ask, Lord, that we could receive the good news that Isaiah prophesied and the good news of Yeshua so that this good news would be realized and fulfilled in our lives. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray like that. And I'm praying like that. That's an honest prayer. And I say, Amen, Lord, Lord. This is my heart. This is my desire. This is my yearning. So during times of challenge and times of sorrow, we understand this. The Lord is with us. During times of joy, the Lord is with us. He is with us through it all. What's left for us to be with Him? In all of it. And we can. We can. In a moment, we're going to close with Aaron's blessing. But first, let's congratulate. Dr. Chuck, who's turning 86 tomorrow. And you don't know this, but you're about to know it. There's a special oneg in your honor today with cake and hot dogs. And thank your wife and thank the team that's working together. But we we love you and we're rejoicing with you. And we're thankful that that you have life and that God gives you more life. And you have tenacity and you're a man of faith. And so we're celebrating with you. 
86. Just getting started. <laughs> so everybody, so, so here's the deal, everybody. When we close the service today, let's go next door and please wait to greet me or to don't, I don't know the right words. So I'll try to be like, let's all go over there together. Don't, let's not stay here. And I'm not going to stay here because, not because I want cake and ice cream. I, I don't know about it. Cake and hot dogs, excuse me. Oh, ice cream too. Ho! Ice cream too. Well, that's more than I could imagine. But because I want us to go next door and to celebrate together and to enjoy each other together. You can put tithes and offerings in the drop box in the lobby. And for those of you who are joining us by live stream and podcast, would you consider standing with us financially? You can go to our webpage, bethisraelnow.com slash giving for all the details. Let's stand for Aaron's blessing. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha, Ya'er Adonai panavelecha v'yichumecha, Yisa Adonai panavelecha v'yasemlecha shalom. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen.